I was talking with a neighbor of mine the other day, lives a few doors down, and learned he, he has a lot of legal and technical background in commercial real estate and land acquisition. I'm uh, asking questions to, of him about it, and, and at one point he says, you know, I would say 95% of all people have very little knowledge about their biggest asset, meaning like the house or the land, how it works, the laws that are behind it, and how all these technical pieces and little laws can, can really affect things rather drastically in one way or another. I, 95%, I just have no idea. And I look over at him, and, and, and about three hours later at night in bed, I think, oh, that's what I should have said. <laughs> you know how you have your really witty, thoughtful response later? Um, but in the moment, all I said was sort of sheepishly like, yeah, I'm probably squarely in your... 95% estimate. What I wish I had said to him, you and I are in the same business. <laughs> Arguably, the terrain I've been charged to consider is both much smaller and much larger than the terrain you consider. But it, too, has been appraised at a rather high value. And it's also true that a lot of us give very little consideration to the inner workings of this terrain, uh, both the perils and the possibilities. I wish I said you and I were not so different. And indeed, Jesus himself draws together a parable that sits at the intersection of business and the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. In biblical times, a merchant, not unlike today, was somewhat skilled at seeing a deal, getting a good price, flipping it for a profit. Today, that person may be the kind who's good at catching a deal on a piece of land, flipping a house, holding down a booth at a trade show, selling online, but whether then or now, either way, it seems like the common denominator to a good merchant, they've got hustle. Right? They have this energy that just knows how to find the deal and make this thing work. Notice our parable does not say the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant. It doesn't even say the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl, though that may be true. We'll get there. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. The initial accent of the story is not on the merchant so much as on the merchant's hustle. The kingdom of heaven is like when you see a merchant leaning in with all their energy and all their interest, and they're just figuring out a way to bring this deal together. And now this merchant you heard is looking for fine pearls, uh, something so rare that most people in that time never saw uh, actual pearls in their lifetime. And, and, and this merchant you heard finds a pearl of such great value um, that he sells all of his other assets to, to buy that pearl. Now, as theologian Amy Jill Levine observes, the man has something he can admire and display but cannot live off of unless he sells it. Which is to say, for as beautiful and wondrous a thing as this great pearl is, the man ends the story with something that can't feed him or his family, can't shelter him or his family, can't really help unless he sells it again which may be the plan, but I'm just saying the story ends with him holding the pearl and not a single other asset. 
If the first half of the story accentuated the hustle, the second half accentuates the holding or the beholding. Could something be of such great value that, that all of our hustle and our bustle, all of our, our to-do lists, all of our steps on the next ladder, all of our three- to five-year plans, all of our deals, all of our assets, we would just drop it to hold, behold that. You know, one of the more striking things that happened those few months into the pandemic was what became called the, the great resignation, right? P- people just quitting their jobs, and others are looking around, what's going on? Their income, their rent, their food, their family, I mean, it just seems like there's a lot at stake here. But goodness, even a month ago, I read McKinsey Consulting calls it the quitting trend that just won't quit. Like there's something to this. Anthony Klotz, the organizational psychologist and professor at Texas A&M who who first coined the term, the Great Resignation, he said recently in an interview, as you all know, it's taken on so many other terms, right? The Great Reimagination, the Great Reset, or how about the Great Realization? You and I know the millions who left their jobs, some may be right here in this room, uh, did so for a variety of reasons. But, But if you listen to some of the interviews Uh, to people who did this. Maybe you talked to some of your peers, uh, people who left working in a restaurant to to, to working in the C-suite of corporate. They'll talk about, a good number of them, will talk about those weeks right on the heels of March 2020, uh, where for a lot of people, not all, but for a lot of people, the hustle of our society slowed so significantly. Commuting, in-person dining, shopping, travel. And the near-complete stop on so many fronts brought about strange questions bubbling from that terrain we don't always often consider. What am I doing with my life? Is it really about hustling from one thing to the next, trying to make it to the weekend and then starting over indefinitely? For the church, almost everything we did stopped, and there was this sort of question. So what are we about? Hold on. What is most foundational about who we are and what we're about, and and has any of our hustle that we've been doing these recent years uh, been towards secondary things? Uh, Do you remember any of the questions that surfaced for you in that first year or so of the pandemic. And like merchants in search of pearls, perhaps we could not yet define, there was a searching. What did so many intuit might be out there worthy of letting go of seemingly so much? It strikes me Jesus himself may have the insight here. Do you remember how Jesus stated his mission at one point? I came to seek and save the lost. There it is. Yes. I came to hustle for lost people. Right? I came to pour out all of my energy in loving, broken people, sinful people, merchants stuck on the treadmill of hustle, hustle, hustle. I came to seek and save the lost of all variety. 
And, and do you remember the parable that maybe makes that mission statement most clear? It's that one with the prodigal son, gets his inheritance from the father, goes off to a distant land and spends all the money on just bad living, finds himself in a famine, no money, starving, disgraced, decides he's going to go back home to his father, just maybe, maybe the father will let me be a servant in, in, in the house. And, and do you remember in this story it says, while the son was still far off, the father ran. The father hustled. No? And then to make sure uh, the father's love, which is beyond all measure, is clear, the father hustles, embraces the son, gives the son a ring, puts a robe around the son, gives the son new sandals, has the fatted calf killed, and the town throws a party. That disgraced son is, is adorned in royal splendor as if the father's declaring, do you understand? You're the pearl of great price. I would run for you. I will sacrifice my reputation for you. I, I will die for you. Yeah, I, I, I've thought often about the prodigal son in this moment of, of really intense shame and being covered by this stunning amount of love that, that I've often thought the prodigal son in this moment must feel invincible. Right? Like, no matter what happens next in life, no matter what people say or don't say about him, do or don't do, like, if, if he can live from the center of this pearl of truth, if he can just live in this space of, of, of belovedness, Oh, that's the whole thing. Maybe riffing on this very parable, the recently deceased author and theologian Frederick Beekner said this, the grace of God means something like this. Here is your life. You might never have been, but you are because the party wouldn't have been complete without you. Here is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Don't be afraid. I am with you. Nothing can ever separate us. It's for you I created the universe. I love you. There's only one catch. Like any other gift, the gift of grace can be yours if... Only you'll reach out and take it, and maybe being able to reach out and take it, it is a gift too. I just wonder, could it be that many who, who quit, not all, but could it be that many who quit during the great resignation, realization, even if they never would have put it in these words, could it be that, that, that many who quit were at some level, maybe even an unconscious level, at search for themselves? The person they are seen in light of how God knows, embraces, and sees them. John Calvin himself reminds us at the outset of his Institutes of the Christian Religion, to search for oneself is in inevitably to encounter God, to discover that one is searching, in fact, for God. So I just, I wonder, could it be, were they, are we, at some level, searching 
for our truest selves, the one held in God. The one created, forgiven, and specially gifted for the party. And what would you say some of those gifts are? Born of that belovedness. So there was once a people who hustled in a lot of directions. Deals, parenting, volunteering, churching, shopping, mowing, learning, growing, falling, failing, starting over. One day they decided to mine the oft-overlooked terrain of great value. They had a sense there was a uniquely wonderful pearl of great value to hold, behold. And like all truly great things in life, the path unto this pearl was comprised of questions. What if life is more than hustling from one thing to the next? What does it really look like to seek first the kingdom of God? When have I known God's love adorn me on the road of failure and shame? What are the gifts I bring to the party for such a time as this because God's grace has showered it that way upon me? And with each wrestling of these questions, the people drew nearer and nearer to the person God made them to be in God. And the nearer they got to this space, the more God's love radiated in them and to them and through them unto neighbor and enemy and to the world in ways far bigger and wider than they could have fathomed because that's just the nature of love. And the people knew they really would let go of all other forms of hustling if, if they could just remain in this space to receive the hustling love of, of God in and to and through them and live life centered in the space of belovedness. Can you imagine if the whole church knew themselves beloved by God and offering their unique God-given gifts for the party? That would look a whole lot like the body of Jesus Christ running toward the world, wouldn't it? May it be on earth as it is in the parable. Amen.